First, second Thessalonians, we're going to be in chapter 2, right? And we're going to be reading to you. Chapter 2, verse 13. But we ought to always thank God for your brothers and sisters loved by the Lord. Because God has chosen you as first fruits to be saved through the sanctifying work of the Spirit. And through belief in the truth. He called you through this, our gospel, that you might share in the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ. Then so, brothers and sisters, stand firm and hold fast to the teachings we passed on to you, whether by the word or of the mouth or by the letter. May the Lord Jesus Christ himself and God our Father, who loved us by his grace, give us eternal encouragement and good hope. Encourage your hearts and strengthen you in every good deed and word. Then we go to chapter 3. As for the other matters, brother and sisters, pray for us that the message of the Lord may spread rapidly and be honored just as it was with you. And pray that we might deliver you from the wicked and evil people, for not everyone has faith. But the Lord is faithful, and he will strengthen you and protect you from the evil one. We have confidence in the Lord that you are doing the will and continue to good things we command. May the Lord direct your hearts into God's love and Jesus' perseverance. Now bear with me a second here. I'm going to tell you something you know. The world that you and I live in has changed over the course of the life that you and I have lived. Am I telling you the truth? Is that something you know? You all know that. The world around us today, today tells us that we must live by the concept concept of go along to get along. But God says no. Stand firm and stand for me. Why is this important to God and how do we stand firm? I'm going to take you to a story. We're going to New York City. Yep. And we're going to tell you about a story about a man who lived in New York City and he was on his way to a costume ball on a Sunday evening to celebrate the New Year's Eve celebration, you know. And and for this costume ball, he had rented a fairly realistic Satan costume. It was a red suit with the tight skin tight mask that went over the face and horns. It was a really quality outfit. He paid a lot of money for this. And he kind of looked like Satan. In order to get to the party, he had to walk a fair distance because all the cabs were busy taking party goers all over the city. And he was caught in a sudden downpour. And he sought shelter in a convenience store. They have them on every corner in New York City, right? They're located in every skyscraper building. There's lots of these. They're on every street. At that same time, a church was on that street, and they just let out their service, and there was a five-foot-something lady, and she was a grandma, 
and she stopped in the store to pick up a few things on her way home to her apartment. Now remember, it's raining. It's not just raining, it's downpouring. And he ran into the convenience store, because it was just pouring all over him, and there was a loud clap of thunder. And, and as a handful of people in the store turned and looked, there was a flash of lightning. And he lit up the door frame. It was so sudden and so shocking that people thought this really was Satan and, and they panicked. And some of them yelled and screamed and they rushed out the back end of the store. But the intruder, this man coming in the door, didn't realize why they're yelling and screaming. He thought they were getting robbed or something. You know, he forgot almost like the costume. So he started towards the, 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 the register thinking something's going on. He thinking he'd walked into a robbery. So he raced a few feet after him. Everybody got out except for this elderly lady and the teller who was behind the till. Turning towards him, she took the bag of the items she had just bought and started swinging it as hard as she could. It was one of those cloth reusable bags. You know, they're really well built. And in New York City, you don't get plastic bags. And if you want a paper bag, you've got to pay for them, right? So she had one of these big cloth bags, right? And she just swing in this bag. And in that bag, along with her chips and other items, she had two cans of Campbell's soup. Now remember it's evening, it's pouring, a loud clap of thunder, and a flash of lightning. And she sees a guy in a really good Satan suit. And this bag's a swinging and she's a yelling. You ain't welcome here, Satan, and all sorts of other similar things, right? Just beating this Satan guy with her bag and the two cans of soup. It cost the man a trip to the hospital and 14 stitches on his head and bruises all over his body. Now, as Paul Harvey used to say for the rest of the story, the police and the prosecutor decided not to charge the little old lady with assault. She got off that. And the man who had received the beatdown, when the costume manufacturer heard the story, they paid all his hospital bills and used his story in an advertising campaign. A costume so real that a church lady will actually think that you're Satan. It made front page of the New York paper. Some of the strangest things in this world happen in New York City. Right? But it could happen anywhere, couldn't it? So as we start our study today, we're going to take a look at that. And we're going to decide... We're going to actually just look at the fact... There are a lot of Christians who literally surrender to Satan. They give up and refuse to stand firm for the faith. That's why the Bible repeatedly tells us to stand firm. In 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 58, it tells us, Therefore, my beloved brothers, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that the Lord is your labor is not vain for him. Now, also in 1 Corinthians 
chapter 16, verse 13, it says, Be watchful and stand firm in the faith. Act like strong men. In the book of Ephesians, chapter 6, verse 13, it says, Be watchful and stand firm in the faith. Act like men, be strong. And now my favorite is Ephesians chapter 6, verse 13. Take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand the evil day, having done all to stand firm. And of course, our text today is stand firm and hold up the traditions and teachings that you're taught by us, either by our spoken word or by our letter. That is Second Thessalonians 2.15. The Bible is very clear on this. God calls us to stand firm. What is interesting is that God repeatedly tells us stories of men and women who stood firm. Moses before Pharaoh. And he stood before him and ultimately led the people out of slavery. The people of Israel stood before the walls of Jericho and the walls fell down. Oh, I love Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, right? They stood before Nebuchadnezzar and, and the, that idol that he made and refused to bow and God delivered them from the fire. Esther, wonderful Esther, stood before the throne of King Xerxes and saved the Jews from utter destruction. One lady. And what's interesting and very important about these stories is that about all these folks, all they did was they stood. It was not their force of arms. Their victory did not come by force of arms or swords, etc. They just stood. They stood strong. Their triumph wasn't accomplished because of their personal power. They didn't win the day because they're influential people. They overcame evil because they trusted God and they stood firm. Edmund Berkey said, the only thing necessary for the triumph of evil is for good men to do nothing. Think about that. Good men to do nothing. When godly people stand firm in the face of evil, evil is frustrated and evil is defeated. And so God tells us to stand. Stand firm. You may be the only person who is able to stand up for God in the face of a bad situation. You still stand. Anybody ever stood by themselves before? We all have. You may be the only one. You stand strong. And oftentimes, people who stand for God have to stand alone. Many of the great heroes and heroines of Scripture face danger all by themselves. But it was their courage 
in those times of danger that turn the tide. Now, I read a book about World War II. I love books. You all know that. I just And, and the, did you know the Germans nearly won the Battle of the Bulge? They, they needed just enough time. If they'd had just enough time to reach their objectives, they would have won the Battle of the Bulge. But they never got to their de- destinations quickly enough. The Germans didn't lose the Battle of the Bulge because they faced a huge ally army. No, they lost because they kept running into small groups of soldiers who refused to yield. Small companies of men who stood firm because they knew that they were the only ones who could stand against the might of the German war machine. Now, I've shared this illustration before, years before, but it fits so perfectly here. Just bear with me if you remember it. Now, I'm not showing the rest of the poster. This was a famous World War II recruitment poster because there was a bad word on it. Okay? So I hunted for an hour to find a picture without the poster. It's a bad word. But if you look up, if you look up PFC Martin of the 325th Glider Infantry, if you want to look it up, it, he, you can read the word. It was December 23rd. This is actually this, the soldier. And Sergeant Bannister of the 14th Cavalry, they were retreating out of a city and they were on a what's called a tank destroyer. And they kept retreating and retreating and retreating. And there were people coming and that tank destroyer was run or banned by Lieutenant Bill Rogers. He was Will Rogers' son. And so we know this, how this story works because he, everyone recorded because it, it had involved him. And they're running out of the city and they're running away from the Germans. And about an hour later, they run into this man digging a foxhole. And they asked him, what do we do? And we hop on behind me. No, if you want somewhere safe, he said, you just pull in right behind me because I'm the 82nd Airborne. This is as fast as those bees are going. Okay, that's the poster. But the rest of the story is, this tank destroyer, because of the courage of this man who unshaven, had a bazooka and a gun and filthy and dirty, but he was, he was, they weren't going no farther. So the tank destroyer pulled in beside him. About an hour later, a truck pulled in with two full squads of men. And then another truck. This point where this man dug his soldier became one of the key points of the defeat of the Germans in the Battle of the Bulge. This man started, one man, P.F.C. Martin, look up his story. He was nobody special, but he said, that's it. That's as far as we go. We're standing here. And he dug a hole. And everybody followed around this P.F.C. He wasn't a colonel. He wasn't a general. He was one man who stood his ground. And a tank destroyer pulled in behind him. You, you really should check out the story because I, I wasn't going to show you the whole words. We're in a church, right? I got to be somewhat polite, but you all know it. Yeah. See, they stood firm and they stood alone. And they turned the tide of the battle at a crossroad point because it started with one man who stood. 
And that's what God calls us to do and be willing to do. God calls us to stand firm, even if you have to stand alone, because everything may depend upon you. In the book of Esther, an evil man named Haman, who hated the Jews so much that he talked the king, King Xerxes, into passing a law to have them all destroyed. They were all going to be killed. Esther was approached by her uncle Mordecai to appeal to the king to save her people, but she was afraid. And Mordecai rebuked her, actually, if you read the Bible, he rebuked her with these words. If you keep silent at this time, relief and deliverance will rise for the Jews from another place. But you and your father's Household will perish. Now you can read that in Esther chapter 4, 14. That's what he told her. Esther listened to her uncle and she stood firm before the king. She didn't know she was going to live. Didn't think she was going to live. But she stood firm. And she saved her people, the Jewish people, from destruction. But now, why would a Christian not stand firm? That's a good question. Why would they back down in the face of opposition? One reason, a lot of folks are afraid of standing alone. There's actually a name for that type of behavior. It's called the bandwagon effect. In sports, the bandwagon effect describes fair-weather fans. Those folks who only get on the bandwagon to support the team when they're winning. That's not RJ down here. He supports them night and day, right? You, you, do you know a fair-weather fan, fan anywhere? Now, among psychologists, the bandwagon effect is... The tendency for people in social and sometimes political situations to align themselves with the majority opinion. And they do or believe things because other people appear to be doing them or believing the same thing. Now, if you want to read about this and and the problems of it, okay, I'm going to give you where you can go. It's boring read, but I'm going to tell you where you can read about this effect. It is in the Dictionary of Psychology on the March 2nd, 2020 version online. And only a minister would look it up for a sermon. Okay, it is a boring read. But there are people who go along with the go-along just because other people are. They prefer to just go along to get along. Another reason a lot of people don't stand firm in the face of evil is they don't want to get hurt. They're afraid of suffering or what people might say. Oh, I, I don't do drugs. I, 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 or I can't have a drink. Or, or, or oh, I, I'm not going to go cheat on a test. Or there's right and wrong. They, they're afraid they might lose their job. Or a friend. Or they might lose someone else that's valuable to them. Or people might make fun of them. There was a poem, a poem I once read. says, Time was I shrank from what was right. From the fear of what was wrong. I would not brave the sacred fight 
because the foe was strong. We're all afraid of the strong person. Abraham Lincoln worded it this way. Be sure you where you put your feet in the right place and then stand firm in that place. Now, back when I was in high school, that was a lot of years ago, right? I, I used to swim on the swim team and the water polo team when I was not working, so I'd always go swimming. They had a really nice pool, right? And so every day I wasn't working, I was in the pool swimming, right? And there was a deep part of the pool where we had all the diving boards. We had high boards, low boards, right? And after swimming practice, we would play king of the diving board. You know, high school boys, we really did really dumb things, right? Any of you ever done a dumb thing in your life? No, you guys never done anything dumb. Okay, well, the one person would stand at the end of the diving board, and the other teams would try to push them off into the water without falling in the water themselves. Now, I have to be honest with you. This was the one game, the one sport that I was really good at. Because I learned if I placed my feet just so on the diving board, nobody could push me off without them going in too. So I could stand pretty firm. And I know it was dumb. And if you saw it on the video, you'd think it's the dumbest thing you ever saw. But it's teenage boys. What do you expect? I mean, you guys have never done anything dumb in your life, right? But there was a way to stand on that board and not fall in. It was really the only sport I excelled in. I was the I was the king of the diving board. I could stand firm. But as a Christian, how do I do that? How do I make sure my feet are in the right place so I can stand firm for God? Cuz the world likes to pull us all all crazy. Well, our text today says We do that by holding on to the traditions that we were taught in Scripture. That's 2 Thessalonians 2.15. You see, the Bible is the foundation of our faith. It is in the Bible we discover what is right and what is wrong. God is not interested in my opinion or yours. He is not influenced by churches who ignore sin. He's not interested in editorials or of newspapers or in government law that legalize immorality or harm. You either line up with scriptures or you're wrong. That's kind of point blank. Whatever the Bible says, that's where we put our feet. The Apostle Peter and John were once commanded not to preach in the name of Jesus. And you know what they said? Judge for yourselves whether it is right in God's sight to obey you rather than God. For we cannot help speaking about what we have seen. Now, you can read these words for yourself if you go to book of Acts, chapter 4, verses 19 and 24. But now let me make some sense out of these words, right? First off, they refused to back down. They made sure their feet were planted in the right place and they stood firm. They stood their ground against those who would cause, who had actually caused the death of Jesus. 
They had no promise that they would make it out of that room alive. Now, now sidebar here, I'm going to run you think. Remember, just a few days earlier, they had, this room had taken Jesus to be killed. They demanded his death. They caused the, his death. They had no guarantee they were going to make it out of that room alive. But they said, this is where we stand. Now, I want you to notice something else too. But notice, Peter and John were respectful. And they did not insult the Sanhedrin. They didn't mobilize a protest. They just said, this is where we stand and we're not backing down. It brings us to our final way that Christians should stand firm. Earlier I quoted in the, in the sermon, I quoted 1 Corinthians 16, 13. Be watchful and stand firm in the faith like men be strong. But I did not include the next verse. I saved it for this spot in the sermon, which says, let all you do be done in love. That's 1 Corinthians 16, 14. When I was a little younger, I got really frustrated. There didn't seem to be any action heroes on movies or TVs that showed Christians beating up any of the criminals. Now, bear with me, okay? I mean, there were Eastern religions, you know, handling evil folks and giving them their lunch, right? But not Christians. There was Steven Seagal. I, you know, he played a Buddhist who would literally destroy whole gangs all by himself, right? You know what those type of movies, right? And how about David Carradine? I'm, I know I'm set my days, but he played a Shaolin monk who defended the innocent in Kung Fu movies. But now, think about this. I don't remember one single Christian doing stuff like that. I mean, if we're Christians and we're all about righteousness, you'd think we'd have a TV superhero. Or, you know, a superhero who would punch somebody in the nose once in a while. But that just didn't seem to happen. Anybody remember a Christian on television punching anybody in the nose? No, we never got that, did we? And, you know, there's a reason for that. Christianity wasn't built on violence. There's no school of martial arts ever created by Christians because Christians didn't teach being a Christian teaches us not to behave that way. But now I'm not trying to say that Christians shouldn't defend their family, their country, and even themselves. But by our very nature, we should not be violent, cruel, or nasty folk. Jesus said, By this all people will know that you are my disciples, that you have love for one another. Those are words of Jesus are found in John 13, 35. And here in 1 Corinthians, Paul reminds the Christians to stand firm, but do it in love. Be respectful. Set your feet and don't move. 
But don't try, even not get in arguments. People are always looking for fights. 2 Timothy 2, chapter 2, verses 24 and 26 says, The Lord's servant must not quarrel. Instead, he must be kind to everyone, able to teach, not resentful. Those who oppose him, he must gently instruct. Oh, I hate that word, gently instruct. Is that a hard word for some of you to hear that again? Can I read it again? Or Those who opposed him, he must gently instruct. In the hope that God will grant them repentance, leading them to the knowledge of the truth. And that they will come to their senses, basically, and escape from the trap of the devil. He has taken them captive to do his will. The, the fact of the matter is, God called us to stand. To not back down, to not, or back off, depending on how you wish to word it, of our faith to anyone, anything. But to do it gently. Without apologizing for what we believe in. The world will fight you. And evil will oppose you. But when the dust clears, it'll be worth the cost. Thomas Paine, I'm going to start to close. You know that word preachers like you start to close? Don't worry, you only got another hour. No, I promise you won't have an hour. With the observation, this is from the American Revolution. The harder the conflict the more glorious the triumph. What we attain too cheaply, we esteem too lightly. It is dearness only that gives us everything its value. I actually love that a man can smile in trouble. That we gather strength from distress and we grow brave by reflection. Tis the business of little minds to shrink away, but whose heart is firm, whose conscience is above, approves his conduct, will pursue the principles unto death. The world around you will tell you you have to do all sorts of crazy things. No, you don't. Some of you are facing the biggest challenges of your life. Some of you overcome some of the biggest challenges of your life. The hardest thing to do for for us who know God's word is to be nice. Have you ever just wanted to walk up and rearrange somebody's nose? None of you would ever have wanted to do that, right? I have a brother that I would love to have a come to Jesus moment with him once. Would it do me any good? No. We've talked, I have nieces who aren't walking right with God. But they know I'm there. And on their Facebook page, every once in a while they say, we're sorry, Uncle Keith, but 
You know, they, they know what they're saying's wrong. They know I'm going to think it's weird. And I still remember them at Christmas and don't say anything. But I got to, sh- I got to send them all Bibles the other day. I, I, I do that crazy type things. You know, they actually like our Facebook sign and pay attention to what the message is out there. I learned something. If you'll notice in your bulletin that we're going to have the, the DOT here. They're going to be doing a meeting for the change of Washington Street. It's going to either four lanes or five lanes. And they're talking this ugly thing called a roundabout. I don't want a roundabout. I want, I want a stoplight. Okay, so if you want to not have a roundabout, be here at the meeting, right, on the date there. But it used to be 8,000 cars went by our sign a week. It's like 12,000 cars now. That little sign out there reaches, in multiple times in a week, right, reaches 12,000 people. And you, I thought it was amazing at eight. And you know what the number one thing they always say? Is we're always positive and we make them laugh. I mean, you can share God's message and still be funny. Still be nice. Still do it in love. Because we all know when we're messing up. None of you have ever messed up in your life, right? You've never had a bad spell. God will take you through it. (sighs) And he'll do it without us having to whomp somebody in the nose. Because you're never going to change a person's mind by rearranging their nose. You're going to change it with love. And that's the hardest thing to have is patience. Any of you got an extra measure of patience you can give me? My patience gets thin once in a while. Any of yours? Oh, you're all just sitting there. Well, I'll be nice. Your patience must be running out of me. So we're going to close in prayer. There's some wonderful goodies at the coffee bar. There is the immigrant connection for our um, second church to be meeting here, but there's also information there for you on legal immigration. The Wesleyan Church has partnered with them on immigration, um, learning the system, learning the laws. You know, people can have to wait up to seven years to get to America nowadays to do it the legal way. So it's information's out there. Um, we've had lots of excitement this morning. We're doing good. God is good. You know that? We're a family. It's so good to see each and every one. And if you're new here, we welcome you. We don't bite. Wait till you have some of the goodies at the coffee bar. They'll cheer up your life. Let's close in prayer. Our Heavenly Father, you called us to be a light to a dark world. You called us to stand for truth, but to love those who are struggling. Father, we've all struggled in our life. We've all had a challenge in our life. We've all stumbled in our life. We've all messed up. And what is so great is there's forgiveness at the cross. Your son loved us so much that when we were still terrible, he died for us. What we attain too cheaply by the world just falls apart. The thing that was the most costly thing in the world was the gift of your son. Now bless us as we sing our final song, then we'll be dismissed. And all God's people said, Amen.